PM friends, and welcome to the Metacast Crypto Corner brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nico Vreke. And today I'm joined by Gabby Dizon, who's calling in from Singapore, and Jeff Holmberg, who's calling in from Connecticut. Uh, today we're going to talk about the state, the current state of play to earn, um, and what this means for specifically the bigger yield uh, the bigger guilds gaming guilds out there like yield guild games um before that some housekeeping if you've read the newsletter the navic newsletter which i highly recommend you might have seen that after one and a half years of weekly metacast episodes i will be stepping down as a host of the crypto corner so the host of these episodes and so we're looking for a new host to um to help out with that so if you are interested in having conversations with some of the brightest minds in the intersection of blockchain and games, like these two people that we have today, um, feel free to reach out at metacost at navic.co uh, and we can, uh, we can have a conversation about that. Does that mean that I will stop podcasting? No, I'll, I'll still do this stuff. I'll do it under the fog DAO or the future of gaming DAO that me and a, a few others have Created, started. Um, it is a DAO focused on you know, the future of gaming, as the name suggests. And that's where we are creating a bunch of content around um, what interests us. In any case, let's, uh, before we start this conversation, start with um, some intros. So, Gabby, you're a big friend of the podcast. You've been on a few times. But for those of you that don't know you yet, could you give us two minutes about yourself? Thanks, Nico. My name is Gabby Dizon. I grew up in the Philippines and uh, I come from game development. So I, I've been making games since 2003, co-founded the mobile game studio in 2014, found Ethereum and smart contracts in 2017. And uh, I found NFTs when CryptoKitties were released uh, later that same year, kind of really fell in love with the concept of uh, NFTs and having uh, basically digital assets that players can own. And yeah, I've been dabbling in the NFT space since then and uh, started playing Axie Infinity and uh, got to start Yield Guild in 2020 in the middle of DeFi summer when during the pandemic, um, a lot of people from my home country in the Philippines uh, needed a way to earn money and they found so by, uh, by playing Axie Infinity. So what Yield Guild does is that we... Uh, we buy assets in different games in the virtual worlds whose assets are NFTs on chain. And uh, they play these games and earn uh, resources inside the game, whether they're tokens or NFTs. So this is called play to earn. And we kind of pioneer this concept, started 2020 and yeah, have been doing it ever since. Fantastic. How about you, Jeff? So, hey guys, my name is Jeff Holmberg, and uh, I actually came from the dark side. I'm, a, I'm originally a, a Wall Street finance guy. From Merrill Lynch and Goldman Sachs, uh, working in SMA trading. I know, I know, I'll get to the goods. Eventually went over to a municipal bond uh, investment and, um, you know, really fell in love with crypto. I think with a lot of people that are listening, you know, late 2017, early 2018, got my first start in this space where I was the first non-founding hire at OpenSea, where I ran partnerships for just about a year. I had moved over to run strategy, more sell-side NFTs with IP licensing at uh, Terra Virtua at the time. And then uh, I had actually had a relationship with Gabby at OpenSea all the way back in 2018. I used to bother him all the time because there was, you know, no volume on anything. So we had a lot of time to reach out to founders and, you know, <laughs> game <laughs> studios and say, hey, what's going on? When's your launch? When's your launch? Uh, so my how things have changed. But eventually, you know, when YGG was birthed, I had went to Gabby and said, listen, you know, I really want to get more into the investment asset acquisition side of things, but stay in NFTs. 
I was like, I wish I can just combine the both the best worlds. And he's like, boy, do I have a role for you. So um, this is where I am now at Yield Guild Games, where I lead and head asset acquisition and all of our um, partners with games that we put, put money into. So Fascinating. So the title of this podcast is The Current State of Play to Earn. <clears throat> Gabby, why don't you give us your thoughts on, on that, on that uh, question? Sure. So... Let me give a recap. Later on kicked off in 2021 when Axie pioneered the concept of earning fungible tokens within gameplay. So if you had three Axies to basically buy into the economy of Axie Infinity, you would uh, play the game and when you won matches, you would earn uh, the SLP token. And this SLP token had utility because you had to burn it to have the right to create new axes. So that gave it value. That meant that you're basically tokenizing somebody's effort in winning a game and using it as a cost for producing new assets. Now, uh, this really took off in uh, 2021 NFT summer when, yeah, during COVID, a lot of people were looking for a job and discovering NFTs. And um, coupled with uh, uh, like, Use, uh, big user growth coupled with the speculation coming from fungible tokens uh, in, I would say, an exchange ecosystem. This drove the like the price of SLP and uh, in Axie and other games to highs that uh, were kind of uh, exceeded the like what the economy could handle. And yeah, we we saw a lot of these uh, economies kind of come crashing down. A lot of people left. Uh, the Axie economy, NFTs overall. So now we're kind of in a quiet lull period. Um, there's, uh, I would say there's not a lot of spending that's happening in games like Axie right now. There's actually still some spending happening. If you look at uh, games like Axie, there's still actually uh, trading volume happening, but it's nowhere near it was in the highs of, uh, of last year. Um, and so it's kind of a quiet period. It somewhat mimics the the 2018, 19, early 2020, where uh, there were games being built, but there was hardly any volume. Um, the biggest difference now is that a lot of money came into the space uh, after Axie's success and showed other people that this, there was actually a market for uh, what's happening. So now a lot of new companies got formed, new games are being built, economies are being iterated on both by Axie itself with the new version of the game and other uh, founders who have experience designing game economies that are trying to improve on the uh, Axie model. So that's where we are now. As a guild, if you ask me where Play to Earn is now, I'd say that, uh, yeah, it's in kind of a state of evolution. I think that the original premise that you could have virtual economies that could be owned by players is, uh, is still very legitimate and is something that I believe in 100% having those players kind of run those economy, produce value, and giving that value back to the players rather than giving it either to the developer or to kind of external marketing companies for user acquisitions as a Facebook, Google. I believe this is where the future of Web3 Gaming is headed. headed. Um, uh, that said, I think there's going to be a lot of evolution and experimentation from the initial product market fit to see where we are and you know everyone's looking for that like sustainable economy with fun gameplay that can keep gamers uh, spending and uh, being in these games for years so that's that's currently where we're at the YGG business model is or was 
you buy NFT assets and you have a community that can use or put those NFT assets to productive use. Did that business model change? So the, uh, yeah, the original business model was built on top of scholarships or asset lending for, uh, for yield. And then we did revenue share on that yield. I guess the biggest difference with us is that even early on, even at the height of the summer, we didn't really use the yield that was produced for cash flow. Like we didn't want to take it out of the economy. Every SLP that we earned, we actually reinvested it back uh, in the game. And we have other models as well. So even uh, January 2021, we spun off a sub DAO for an estate of land assets in a game called League of Kingdoms, which is uh, a strategy game similar to Clash of Clans. So the gameplay happened um, on like very similar uh, to Clash of Clans, like clan-based gameplay, but there was land underneath the gameplay. And if there was spending that happened on top of that land, then the landowner would get a piece of it. So we had an estate and rather than give out or lend those land to our user base, we spun it off into a separate sub DAO and basically gave uh, players ownership. And the engagement there has been very high. Um, people are governing what is happening within the gameplay, coordinating raids, governance over what to do with the yield. So that's another model that's been with the guild ever since. And now it's expanded to uh, YGG Splinterlands, which is our second gaming sub-DAO. So we have the asset rentals, not only Axie, but other games such as Fancy Birds and Cybol have that. And we have these gaming like estate sub-DAOs where uh, there's basically a guild overseeing governance over a bunch of assets. Great. Now I'd like to have Jeff's um, thoughts as well. First of all, I'm a gaming VC. I invest in games. How does your job differ from mine? That's an interesting question. And you know, since we operate as a DAO, we, we of course, um, have to be careful answering that question as well, right? Uh, but you know, I view YGG as more of the, the middlemen of the industry, right? We understand that VCs make it for an ROI perspective and investment perspective. For us, when we are making, in, if we were to use the term investment just to just keep you know parallel activity here, um, we call it asset acquisition here. But uh, you know, when we do make plays into these games, right? We view a lot of the tokens that we are earning, and like Gabby said, when we cycled SLP back into the ecosystem, we view it as more as a customer acquisition cost in order to scale the game, scale the players, and, and build the player base. You know, we feel like being the biggest game. By three gaming guild in the entire space, it is our role. It's our job to help build a foundation out of cement for these games, for instance, rather than mud. And you see, you know, a lot of other guilds, they come in, they really have that perspective of uh, revenue share, yield sharing, or percentage splits. And there's a lot of extraction even coming from the guild side. And, you know, we feel as we want to build up that player base, you know, we hear these games come out and say, hey, we have our first 10,000 players. This is a great sign for a Web3 game. And you think compared to the you know, gigantics of Apex Legends and Fortnite with millions, you know, multiples of millions of players. I mean, this is n nothing, right? Web3 gaming is an infant in the grand spectrum of things. But without that foundational support of players that want to stick around or guilds having a responsibility of getting into like C-level deals or asset acquisition with NFTs, it should be a responsibility for them to help build up the game, build up that foundation and build up a much larger player base so that we're able to cycle revenues much better, right? So we view it as right now as a customer acquisition cost to bring in more players, right? Build up that foundation, obviously have the game blow up, you know, in, in a positive manner so that in the future, right, 
we can start getting into the economic side of things where uh, you have almost an even amount of players spending in the game than the extracting. And right now it's extracted. So the way we can be comparable with you guys is, of course, we do want to see ROI on returns, right? And so that we can consistently use that in a customer acquisition cost type of basis. And, and naturally, I mean, we do have core members that do need to get paid. You know, people need to get paid and uh, do work for, you know, internal work for Y2G, you know, especially, you know, even on the tech development side. But the main goal here is to eventually get games into that revenue cycle where the economics are paired nicely, where eventually, you know, new blood, fresh money comes in and wants to cycle the money back into the ecosystem with us. And at that point in time, and this is a theory based, you know, type of example here, Nico, as well, right? It's not perfected. We know it's not perfected. It hasn't happened yet. But over time, should that match up? Then we can think about starting to sell off our tokens as, you know, depending on what type of ROI it's going to be. Or, you know, we can even analyze and say, should we keep going? Should we keep building? I think that's how we even got here is because we chose to actually keep building an Axie, even though the ROI was right. The ROI was super high, but we wanted to really push it. And I think that actually helped with brand reputation as well. So kind of hopping all over the map here for your question, right? And I'm not trying to dance around the, the question, but of course we do, you know, on our team, which similar to you, we do through, go through a diligence process naturally, right? We do through go through token economic models. We go through game loop, um, you know, cycles. We actually currently, um, you know, which is much different than Q3 of Q4 of last year. Currently we are trying to focus mainly on current portcos as well as keeping the bar ultra high for new games that come to market. But to, like I said, jumping in the mud with, with these founders and actually working hands-on with these token models and game loops, uh, you know, is similar to what you do, right? I think we want to build up something that's going to win, that eventually is going to be sustainable, um, while also being a slave to more of the general spot, you know, macro market as well, right? We are one box in crypto or Web3 as a whole, you know, alongside infra and DeFi, et cetera, right? So as the general spot market gets battered around, like gaming is going to get battered around. And, um, you know, we're not there yet where we see any divergence in between like Web3 gaming, you know, tokens for independent games versus we would for, you know, uh, like an index on Bitcoin or Ethereum, for instance. So, um, yeah, that's that's probably where I think our strengths lie and where our focuses lie right now is really shaping out what could these tokens look like to the future what could the game loops look like for the future to essentially get a more automated uh, player base coming in rather than having to either rely on guilds, build up like this gigantic player base in regional areas where there most commonly is going to be more extraction in other areas like the Western world, like North America. When you describe your assessment of what a game and what a game loop and what a game economy will look like in the future, am I correct in understanding that you're looking for something that could potentially become almost an a new or like its own economy where it's it's deep and complex with multiple players multiple different kinds of assets this is a great question because i want to say yes and no right i think there are certain games out there that can kind of teeter on the definition of being a flash game simplicity right simplicity is key right we've we've seen that with something like a, a candy crush on mobile right you know would you call that a very extensive economy i wouldn't right? It's sim simple. So you're going to have games like that. And then you also have to understand, like, we need to learn about cultural differences as well. You know, when Gabby was talking about our sub DAOs, you know, India, Japan, Eastern Europe, right? 
there's things in games that might look stupid to me out west, considering like what I see here in America that might be super popular in Indonesia, right? Might be super popular in India, right? And they might be simple. So you have to take it with a grain of salt and understand who is this audience. I mean, who's going to be, you know, who's building this game? Who are they building it for? Who's the audience, right? And what's the cycle and flow of that, right? Not everything needs to be complex as, you know, United States Fed. But there are much larger games, more uh, teetering on the AAA side, that do have more intense and extensive economies that, yes, so there's the yes side of your question. So it's, I'm really in the middle here where it's dependent on that style of game, dependent on the structure of game, the audience, um, and where their goals are, right? Not everyone is trying to build the next Fortnite. People just want to have some form of simple game, maybe a time killer. You know, something that's easy for entertainment that you can perhaps play even through Discord with commands. So there's a lot of games that we see that can really fit into that definition. And we've learned to really adjust our mindset to say not everything needs to be so complex. I agree with that. And I also feel you when you say that there's a bunch of super successful games out there that you would never touch. Um, I have the same. Right. Yes. Yeah. You mentioned that today you spend a lot of time with the companies that you've worked that you've been working with that you've you know acquired assets from um what is that could you give some some practical examples on, on what that looks like well i don't know if i can break out of stealth with with that you know there there's a, a couple where we like i said you know i want to keep it pretty vague and not give too too much details here i have to be careful with the alpha but um you know We've seen over a thousand games, at least since since I've been here, right? And you know the I say this phrase all the time. You see the common denominators in the space of things that are broken, the common denominators of things that work. Uh, we just take that experience and sit with these teams because a lot of times, you know, I think Gabby even was, was kind of leading towards this that some teams will just copy and paste an Axie tokenomics, right? And then that just doesn't work. You know, Nico, you and I can't build a game and then just copy and paste someone else's economy and say we're good to go, right? So it's really going through all of the game loops, understanding the token syncs, or even helping them give ideas to implement token syncs. Uh, for those that don't know uh, what a token sync is, it, it, think of it as more of a reason to spend your token inside the game ecosystem or platform. But um, you know, understanding where the game loops really intersect with the earning side of it is what we're very good at. I mean, we're a play-to-earn guild. You know, we've been in, in Web three for quite some time. We've, we've gamers ourselves. So we understand how the market is constantly shifting, what has essentially died off going back from like Q3 to Q4, and what needs to be built for the long term, right? I think everyone feels too much pressure to uh, give out degenerate yields on their tokens or make sure these earning ratios are just remarkably high, unsustainable, and use it as more marketing efforts. Right, because they feel that if they are not making their communities happy, if they're not keeping pace, so to speak, with other people that are doing this poor routine, then they're going to yell at the game's going to be no good. And we're trying to work with them to really build out something and say, listen, to, to really get a game to work to pop, it takes years. Right? I, I think there's a lack of understanding to um, just the general public, and you know, and unfortunately, in some cases, even investors in Web three where you're not going to have your game fully built out in one year. You're not going to have that game fully built out with only $1 million, unless it's like, you know, that simple flash game type thing, right? I'm talking more of the larger games. So we're trying to keep everybody calm, 
have, you know, get everyone uh, to have some patience here and really think about this from a zero to one type process. Like, you know, let's not plan this game for the next two months of what could work now, but let's really build this out and say, well, what is going to be the game loop? Like, where's the user start and the user end, right? And then where is the user continuation, right? We've seen that come through with like battle passes or seasons in typical like web two games, right? Or uh, future packs and levels. I mean, go on forever, like how they can do expansions, but getting them through the, the core game loops and the core model of the game is not everyone understands how it can like, adjust to the Web3 ecosystem and how it could really, you know, people, the game developers have wonderful ideas for, for game loops, but then the token model just doesn't make any sense in it. The earnings just doesn't make any sense in it, right? The spends don't make any sense. So trying to essentially us step in and be that Elmer's glue, so to speak, and piece this all together with them you know, at, you know, nine o'clock at night in front of the whiteboard brainstorming and letting them know, hey guys, this hasn't worked before. This has worked before. Um, let's experiment with this. You know, I think, uh, you know, soulbound tokens is, is a hot topic, like, you know, in, in the war room, like that's all I'm going to say. I'm trying to dance around this question without giving out too much alpha. But um, yeah, I mean, the TLDR here is just sharing our knowledge with them, making sure that they're building for the long term and just, as simple as it sounds, make it make sense, right? This podcast is famous for having secrets leaked in advance, so don't feel bad when you when you leak something. It's that's why it's I said thing. it. I did. I did my diligence. I did my diligence <laughs> on you, and I and I'm not gonna. I can't break it. I know people will hate me, but I will say there there there's some very exciting titles uh, being released that are in YGG's Porco uh, later this year. They have been publicly announced on our Twitter, so I'm not going to single anybody out of which ones I think are going to be fan favorites, but the alpha's out there. You just have to dig. I just uh, am not going to say it out of fairness to everybody. <laughs> Guild Guild Games Twitter, that's it. That's what you need to follow. That's um, it. That's it. Gabby, you with Yield Guild Games have one of the largest scholar bases or like, you know, communities. How are you putting them to you? Like, that sounds bad. Like putting them to use is, is probably the bad way to put it, but how are you working <laughs> with them? How are they involved in what you're doing? Um, how are you, they helping the, the, the guild as a whole succeed? Yeah. So I think, uh, we think of it the other way around. How is the guild helping our community members succeed? And That's better. how we do that is helping the community engage with web three and like different virtual economies. So most of these are games so that means we funnel people to games like Axie, to games like Cyball, teach them how uh, how to play, and they learn how to use crypto at the same time. But uh, a lot of the focus, and you know, a lot of people talk about like how guild models are evolving, but this is actually something that we've focused on from the very start. I think there's been uh, a lot of focus on the scholarship model and like how many scholars does a guild have because it, it was kind of an easy number for people to take a look at. But even from the very beginning, uh, the, the biggest kind of philosophical uh, aspect of what we were doing was that we were helping to upskill our members with skills that were relevant in Web3 that can help them with ownership of assets. Like ultimately, this is what play to earn is. Like I don't get into like, you know, Twitter definitions of what play to earn is or isn't or what's a better term. For us, what's really important is that you uh, 
teach our community members skills. We give them access to different virtual economies and they have the opportunity to own digital assets. Like if you abstract it away, that's what it really means. Um, it's very different from freelancing, for example, where you have a skill, you get paid for it, and it might be a different rate depending on where you are in the world, whether in America versus China versus Philippines, etc. It means that I, as kind of a citizen of the metaverse or someone who is in the virtual worlds, I do valuable work there and kind of I get assets um, like at the same rate as anyone else in the world. So that's that's a very important part for us. So you are going to see us talk a lot about upskilling, about different quote-unquote jobs that make up the metaverse, whether you're a scholar, you're a player, you're a streamer, you're a moderator. And if you look at the different partnerships that we have, like Learn to Earn, for example, you can see that a lot of what our focus in is really giving our community members to uh, the tools to succeed in in the Web3 world. A lot of comments in, from critics has come from the fact that in order to be able to earn something, you need to add value. And today, if you're playing a game, you're supposed to play a game for fun. And it's not that self-evident that you actually add value by playing a game. So what are some examples of the upskilling that you do for your community members that would have or would give them the skills to add value in, in a more traditional sense? Yeah, so people don't understand that a person playing a game is actually adding value. Think about free-to-play games. Game developers are willing to spend a lot of money to acquire a user, right? A player giving ads on Facebook. And why are they willing to acquire those users? Because those users have value. So people are playing for fun. You don't realize you actually have value by being inside a game, especially if it's a multiplayer game. So... Just because a game is fun doesn't mean you're not doing anything of value. And like people don't really think about this because you're thinking of playing games from your own kind of point of view, which is I'm playing this for entertainment. And if I'm doing something that is value, then it's work. It's actually very different looking at it from the game developer. I'm acquiring users, whether I'm marketing, taking out billboard, PR, direct acquisition, or paying yield. These are all different types of user acquisition. And a game that is not sustainable, where there are more yields coming out than revenue coming in, is no different from a mobile game that's spending more money on Facebook ads than it is making in revenue. So you have to kind of separate the entertainment value of something from the value of something, because these mean different things to the developer and to the player themselves. It seemed to me, you know, we all have, we've all seen the the report or the the YouTube video of you know play to earn in I believe it was Indonesia um, and Philippines of, at Philippines. Yes, that was it. Um, where a lot of people actually like didn't have a job, were able to make a living by playing games. The numbers currently seem to indicate that it's not possible anymore to make a true living playing these games. What has that meant for Yield Guild and the Yield Guild scholars? Right. So what it's meant is that uh, players who were playing the games primarily as a way to earn an income have moved on and have churned from the guild. The players who are here because they want to get better at Web3, they want to discover games, or they're kind of trying to upskill themselves, they've stayed with us and they've actually kept engaged even at the time of low, of low earnings. It probably means that being in the guild is not their primary way of earning income. And that's fine. I think um, like the, the notion that 
playing games could have been your primary uh, source of income. The yield that was being derived there was, uh, I would say, a lot was being driven by people who were buying into the economy on a speculation basis. I, uh, it's kind of nervous, makes me nervous when you see people who are basically grinding and then being able to earn like a month's salary in the Philippines, which is happening at some time, right? So there was yield uh, being derived there, but uh, that yield was coming from a speculation premium that basically comes from the like liquidity and reflexivity of crypto. And now that that speculation is currently gone, it's probably going to return again in some time. Game designers are really thinking of ways to kind of tamp down this like reflexivity and the speculation premium that goes inside the game economy itself. And um, yeah, and I think this is good. So for, for our guild, um, I would say that the core community is still there. The scholars that were relying on it primarily for income have moved on, especially as the world has opened up and jobs are available. But yeah, I think our, our core community is actually as strong as ever. I've had a number of conversations with people from Sky Mavis who talk about Axie Infinity as almost an Axie nation, where people are so identified with Axie and everything it stands for that they'll do anything or they'll play anything that is remotely uh, or uh, that is remotely connected to Axie. Do you feel a similar thing around YGG? Yeah, so we have incredible amount of loyalty in uh, in YGG. I guess the difference is that uh, it's not based on one game, but mm -hmm. like as a community that is playing different games. So a lot of our community members primarily came from Axie. But uh, yeah, we've actually have members that are in League of Kingdoms who have never played Axie, for example, or are really into Splinterlands um, and very active in governance. We also have a budding uh, a group in SubDAO to be formed around Illuvium, for example. Um, but the loyalty, it uh, kind of accrues back to the guild. And we're doing different programs such as the guild uh, guild achievement program, the GAP, uh, to kind of reinforce the, the level of learning uh, that people can have uh, within the guild. Over the past year, we've seen quite a few evolutions in, in what's hot, right? As you said, a lot of teams were like just copy-pasting Axie Infinity's tokenomics. Um, We've seen some advanced advancements since then. We've had so play to earn, then play and earn, play to own, and now it is apparently free to own. I still need to brush <laughs> up on, on everything that's happening there. Um, Jeff, you throughout that year have been looking at different games, uh, assets to acquire. What gets you excited today? You know, nothing gets me more excited than a passionate founder that thinks for the long term. You know, I know that sounds very cliche, but I think there's a lot of people that had come to market uh, more as a money chase. I think people are coming to the market too quickly without doing their homework and understanding like what really are the nuances with Web3, you know, especially with onboarding and player base. You know, it's one thing if you can build an absolutely fantastic game, but it's, it's another if you're not really understanding the pipeline for client retention, user acquisition, things of that nature to actually get the bodies in there playing. Um, but I think what makes me excited is, you know, like I said, teams that really <clears throat> think about like the what's next and what could be, right? And not take the copy and paste ideology or the similar ideas from web two and just try and convert them into just like a web three style of game, right? We've seen that multiples of times, <clears throat> excuse me. But I think those that have 
put in an effort to understand the homework and try to do token design and try to build out these economies and try to build out something that's entertaining. Because we understand that, you know, if you're coming from Web2 trying to build a game, you haven't done any token work before, right? You haven't, you're so focused on what the user acquisition or the client retention was on more of the Web2 style and ideology there. And it's completely different here. And I think those that just put in that effort and try and that are teachable, right? And coachable and that can listen and um, take guidance from people that have been here or follow, you know, the, uh, like YGG, like our advice on how to get guilds involved in this and how to get guilds, you know, uh, retention rate on, on other guilds besides YGG in our sub right? right? Um, that's what I really like. And I know it sounds simple, right? And there's a lot more, to, of course, to deciding if we want to partner with a game than that. But I, I would honestly say that's, the most infecting thing is talking to someone who lives this life, who is passionate. And I think, you know, using the phrase, would they do this if they had to do it for free? And those that answer yes to that question are the ones that I want to back, right? You can tell very quickly those that are just gamers at heart, right? And I think there's a big difference between gamers and players, right? And you can tell those that are Gamers at heart that want to build this, that want to make it succeed, treat it like a baby, and they're not really, um, you know, motivated by money first. They're motivated by providing a good product to actual players first, and that's very difficult for a lot of people to understand. But I think from what we've seen lately, um, that's probably the most exciting thing for me from more of a fundamental layer. Mm-hmm. So I speak to quite a lot of founders, um, ones that are still very early stage, but also a few that have been around for a couple of years. Some of them have sold NFTs or sold tokens and are now struggling because of that. Um, what are your thoughts on, like, what are your recommendations to teams that have sold tokens and that now have and, tokens that are like priced super low? Um, what do you usually uh, say to these? Well, I think we try not to get games into that situation, right? There's been several conversations with it's this is this is a, this is a hard conversation to have with you because I'm trying to be so bland on purpose because there's a lot of things that we're working on that solve these type of problems, um, especially with a couple of teams. But for, I mean, the first step is to try not to get into that situation. Number one, I think step two, as you just mentioned, right? You know, it was play to earn, play and earn, free to own. You know, and I think in the market. I, really, when we talk about these common denominators that we mentioned, you know, 20 minutes ago or whenever it was, it's providing value back to your collectors, right? And understanding, you know, Web2 gaming really through and through, you know, you can buy battle passes, 10 bucks, you know, Apex Legends, you know, FIFA packs, they can range, you know, of course, a couple bucks to, you know, 25 bucks, for instance. Those were viewed as, quote unquote, expensive right, to a lot of Web2 players, like, oh, I'm not going to spend 25 bucks or 30 bucks on a pack or a battle pass. That's just crazy, right? And we're over here having the expectations that players should be spending $3,000 for a gaming item, $20,000 for a gaming item, even $300 for a gaming item. It's very hard to fight between players that want to come into the ecosystem and collectors, speculators, flippers, right? It's just a gigantic mess. And I think where we've seen with with Gabe lately, you know, with the Daikus, and just putting them out for free is sometimes you just have to let the market be the market, be the market, right? I think provide value to people by 
um, giving them some free assets. I think it's a great customer acquisition idea. Uh, I think people do rely too much on front end sales and either rely on the cash that's being brought in to use for survival. Now, if you didn't do a raise, that is a good strategy that you can do that, right? But I think being able to up the supply and keep it at a very cheap, low price so that people can come in and just not feel like it's such a risky investment, right? And then even that word investment feels dirty when you're talking to gamers, right? They don't want to make investments. They just want to play the damn game. And I think being able to come in and having a fluid you know, UI UX is very important. And I think just, you know, if you're stuck in this situation, to answer your question, talk to your community and think about ways that you can provide value. Is it another free drop? Is it a, a, a supplement type of NFT to the current NFT that they might own? Just give value back to the players while also thinking about ways to bring in new blood into the ecosystem. If you're stuck in that rut, you're going to need new money, you're going to need new players, and you're going to need new spends on that. And so you really have to kill two birds with one stone here and think, well, how can I make the people that are happy that already spent the money while coming up with an idea that can bring new money inside the market? Now, this is just, you know, this is not foolproof. I think there's a lot of planning that would need to go into this. Of course, marketing discussions. This is just like a more high uh, level answer to your question. But I think the, the solution is hopefully they can work with you know, if, if they don't have VCs or they don't have angels or they don't have partners and it's just your team, okay, then, you know, get your whole team together and brainstorm. But, you know, usually there's a reliance on calling up your VC partner or your angel partner or your guild partner, wink, wink, and say, guys, we're stuck. You know, we want to come up with an idea to really hit the market again. What do you think? And I think just put your ego aside and listen to the people that have been through these bear markets. Listen to the people that have been through like the roller coaster of gaming up and downs. And try to follow the advice, right? And even talk to your community. Talk to your community. Just being very transparent to what's going on, being very transparent with what your goals and initiatives are. You'll be completely shocked how much love and support you'll get back from your community with that. So, um, and, but at the end of the day, it's it's all about, in my in my opinion, and this this might shock the world on it, but keep things cheap, right? Don't worry about so much revenues on the front end. Provide that value. And just make it nice, clean, and easy for players to come in because right now it's super clunky. And, you know, we all would love to see 15, 20, 30 ETH floors on NFT assets. But at the end of the day, it's, a, uh, it's, it's very selfish uh, from, from us, from VCs, from collectors to think that that is somewhat sustainable and that new money is going to keep coming in at, you know, 45 grand, you know, 50 grand an asset. And, um, we have to put our egos aside and understand that that normal price of 10 20 even $30 is still expensive to majority percentage of Web2 gamers. So no, you are not going to solve the equation to get billions of players to cross in that Web2 bridge into Web3 just because your asset hit a 1 ETH floor. It's actually a, a very bad thing, to be honest with you. And I know that's more of a contrarian perspective, but um, unless it's similar to like something that Gabe did where it's like, I gave it for free. I let them try it. I let them have it. Right? Let the market be the market. Yeah. But in general, I, I actually have a somewhat uh, different take on this <laughs> coming from uh, free to play. And if you come from free to play economies, you know that like the paying users are somewhere probably between one to 5% of the population. And then the rest are important to the game, but they're not the ones that are paying for the experience. 
and what I think this industry in Web3 is evolving to is going to be kind of a, a mix of free-to-play and play-to-earn. And what does that mean? That means there'll be assets in the game that represent the game economy. And honestly, some of them might be worth $500,000. Some of them might be worth a million dollars. Gabe was already doing this with Machine Zone at Game of War. Like there, like there are people who are spending millions of dollars a year. Most people weren't, but some people will. And now that he's kind of unleashed in an NFT economy that's not limited to a hundred dollars per uh, per in-app purchase, now you've seen the kind of power of what he's doing with free to own, where he drops the NFTs, and then like people who are willing to pay for them based on what they think they're worth are basically able to buy it. And what you're seeing now is kind of early hype based on what people think limit break will do but i mean like you you're pretty sure that he probably already has the game in his back pocket like it might not be completely ready but he wouldn't start tweeting out of nowhere if he didn't have a game ready and i'm really excited to see like what that will turn out to be i hope so too it always seems to me difficult so i agree with what you said jeff where you know, if you want an ETH, one ETH floor for <clears throat> your game assets, one of the problems that I think founders and game devs face is that the you were responsible for the last person or to the last person that bought your assets. And so if someone buys one of your assets, even if you gave it away for free for like 10 ETH or I don't even know what the, the floor price is of these daikus now, um, it is very hard. Like it creates expectations, right? If someone pays like 30 grand, for your for an asset that's going to be used within the game it it they either expect monetary rewards or they expect an unfair utility within the game either like both of which are very hard to build a good game around and so what are your thoughts on that i agree with you i i just think the market it has been conditioned to think like that currently and i think in order to break out of that shell it's going to take some time and that's why when we've been talking with teams and thinking don't do that you know, if, unless you're really ready to provide value for that, like Gabby said, like coming from, uh, from that side of the business, right. Let, let it grow. You know, there will be people that will pay these very high prices for these items, but these games are quite established and matured over the years as we've spoken earlier. Right. And, um, you know, I think when you come out and not, it doesn't have to be free, right. It just needs to be affordable. Right. You know, and there is no, no, nothing preferred. Right. I think there's different styles that could work. Like with, with, we were talking about Gabe, like the free launch, it, it worked. It, it was great. Right. For some that might not work. Right. And I think it depends on who you are and what game you're building, but that's probably a different conversation. But at, at the end of the day, it's just, just make it easy. Just make it affordable and think about who's going to be playing this. Right. What is your target audience? I think a lot of people miss on that. They, just conditioned to think like, I just want to get into the top 10 of OpenSea. That means I'm doing well, but it might be all collectors in London that aren't even gamers, right? So where's yeah. the target audience going? Like who's who's buying this, right? And I, this is why I think it's like a good idea to get guilds involved, right? And this is why a lot of people do come to us because like, don't worry about the regions. We'll introduce you to our sub DAOs. We have regions, which feels like almost every country in the world at this point. But, you know, we've, we've expanded in that out and say, listen, you can get assets into the hands and plant seeds around around Earth, so to speak, um, for all these player bases, keep it affordable, or we can rent them out. And, um, you know, for, for, for players that are outside of, of guilds, make it feel as fluid as if they're just turning on a Web 2 game 
And I just, I just, I know I'm just kind of rambling on that, but I really want to hammer that into people's heads, like make it affordable, stop this, this conditioning that I'm going to buy something. And that, you know, because we've seen it happen with punks or apes or essentially some other assets out there in gaming that have gone to 20, 30 ETH at some point in time, stop making it people want to buy this asset because they're thinking about the appreciation and value rather than the actual use case and utility of the item in game. For me, you know, like, and I've said this before, like I'm a big Apex Legends player I'm on my free time. And if, you know, there was a special gun that I could use that wasn't super OP in the game that I could always, for, for my Apex players out there, like if I could buy the Kraber, I would pay $1,000 for it to have it, right? But I spend a lot of my time playing the game. I, you know, have spent years playing that game. I mean, essentially since day one, I think it's it's almost two years and uh, maybe longer. Don't quote me on that. It's but, more. you know, I've my, my time value in the game is is gigantic. And as Gabby said, right, I'm now in their core player loop, right? I'm buying the battle pass and buying the spend. And so for me to buy that high end asset is worth it. And that's where you start getting these higher prices. But just don't do it on the front end. You know, try to build players like me that will cycle revenue back into the economy, have a whole bunch of assets, whether that's free or cheap that I can use and deploy to build up a career or, you know, build up my character or, um, you know, essentially my my identity or persona in the game and then let that appreciate. Um, but you're not going to get new blood in like that. No way. There's a lot of game developers who listen to this. Why should they want to partner with YGG? Oh, that's how much time you have. You know, I think, I think <laughs> from from first steps, you know, just not to be redundant here, but being able to work with YGG Core and all of our sub DAOs, you are getting player bases right off the bat, right? You know, when you think about our YGG India, Ola GG, and Bays in Brazil, YGG, you know, Japan, we have them everywhere, Southeast Asia. Um, Being able to have relationships with these sub DAOs, you're able to get at least a start and a player base in all these different countries around the world, right? So you are starting with a certain base level of player. Is that strong enough? Not, not really, right? I mean, we're not buying four million assets, you know, in 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 each game. You know, we're not going to be like the sole player base in the game, nor would we want to. That would be super OP for us. But like I said before, earlier in the conversation, like you are getting the experience and attention from us to work with us where we want this to be built on cement and not on mud, like I said. And we will work with you with the token econ. We will work with you with these game loops like we've been doing. And we will introduce you if we need to, to all the other guilds, VC relationships, Uh, I think it's, it's been a pretty big one lately, given in this market, there's been several people that have been doing more secondary raises or even bridge raises. Um, I think that's definitely a key value because we are that middleman, like I said, in the beginning of the conversation in between like VCs and, you know, just being like a, a guild. Um, but I think that's probably the, the highest value prop for us is just the fact that we aren't going to write a check or pick up some assets, pat you on the back and say, we like you, good luck is we want to be a part of that team. You know, we want to wear those hats with you. We want to bring in more team members to really understand your process and just help you get this off the ground. And this is partially the reason why we even slowed down our partnerships into these games is because we want to make sure that we have proper bandwidth and attention for our current Borcos, right? We, we do understand that not everyone has 
you know, immense amount of time on their hands to sit with teams three to five times a week. And especially if you have over 50, you know, porcos to deal with, it's, it's impossible. But, um, you know, being able to sit with them at least on a reasonable basis, and in some cases, it can even be three times a week and make sure that they have our attention and we're giving them the support they need for their long term vision is just so crucial. And um, maybe there's other guilds out there that do that. Maybe I, I don't know, right? I don't know other guilds that are, you know, really good at working on token econ or game loops. And, and, you know, I just don't know. We don't really communicate with a lot of other guilds because our ecosystem is the biggest. Um, you know, we'll communicate with our sub doubts in place of that. So um, that's just, just really where I think our strength lies is that, you know, we're going to essentially be in, in the boardroom with you. You know, you're not going to get rid of us. We want to be on that team, sit with you and really work on the ideas together. And it's okay. Not everything that we work on together needs to be guild oriented. It can be, like I said, game loop oriented. So a lot of options yeah. there. Yeah, I think uh, YGG has a particular perspective on the market because my background is as a game developer myself. So uh, I know how hard it is to be a game founder and kind of push a game and get it off the ground. And I guess the more philosophical version of what Jeff is saying is that what we do as a guild is we try our best to kickstart the network effects of your game and your economy. So it's not just the value of, look, look we bring in users, we, we bring in players, we try to help think through your economy so that it would work great. And bringing in the YGG usually means that the game has a certain amount of quality that also attracts other guilds and other gamers in. So we want to kind of be that kickstart of the network effect that will eventually help make a game's economy successful in the long run. And yeah, we'll stay there. We'll help the like the game teams figure it out. We'll kind of work through problems and we'll do our best to make sure that our community is excited to play the game and to really spend a lot of time and eventually money in it. If game developers want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? It's a really good question. Uh, we get we get inundated <laughs> from from all different angles because we just spoke about this the other day because we we are that middleman. Like so, we get VC introductions. We we have a form on our website that people can fill out to to get in touch with us. But I think the best uh, way to get in touch with us is is please don't spam us. You know, Twitter or our personal DMs on Twitter. I think. Take the high ground and put in some effort to find someone who has a relationship with us and get yourself out there. You know, even if it's another game founder um, or another VC relationship, we know, we know a lot of people in the space. Try and get a personal introduction to us so that those that we know that are, we're also comfortable with working with can make that introduction for you. I, and I think that really goes with anything in life. Right? You know, it's really who's you, you know, who do you know? And if you're coming into the space and new, obviously, you know, others have an unfair advantage, you know, over some by coming into the space and already knowing people, but I just really encourage yourself to, to learn more about, you know, games that are out there, learn more about our Porcos. It, it's okay for a founder to hit up another founder and say, Hey, what's your experience with YGG? Right. I just want to talk to you. I'd love to meet you and ask them about us and, and you know what, and see if it's even a right fit for you. You know, in some cases uh, there are pay to win strategies out there that we're not really big fans of that or that we work with, but they do well in some cases and that might not be a correct fit. So I think do the diligence on YGG and we encourage it. Learn more about us. Ask people about my name you know, and what we've done um, and see if it's the right fit and then ask for a personal introduction because it just cuts through all the crap that we get, a lot of the fluff that we get. 
and we'll pay attention to it. We really like looking at you know new decks, meeting new founders, uh, especially those that are innovative and very exciting. You know, it's it's but it's very difficult. You know, we are human beings. We have a a whole slew of portfolios that we're currently working with. We have getting slammed every day from all directions uh, from deal flow. Like I said, like VCs online and direct. It's very very hard to manage, um, but we're doing what I think is a good job at it. But try and get to us uh, from more of a personal capacity so that we know that this is someone that is really, really interested in working with us, um, did, the, did the effort in trying to get in touch with us to you know, and learn more about us. Because I'd like people to basically interview me when they have that conversation with the founder. Like, Jeff, I know you've worked on this game and this game. We really like what you did here. We saw that YGG did this, and we're interested in maybe tackling you know, IndieGG and, and launching in India with you know, our Indian Sundao, right? I'd love to have conversations like that. Show me that you, you have the knowledge and put in the effort because that also shows me I should get excited about you because you understand a lot about me already and understand a lot about the market. And it makes me think, well, if he learned this much about or she learned this much about YGG, these people are going to do their homework to, to really study, you know, like user acquisition, customer you know, acquisition. So um, that's the best way. Fantastic. And I, I think this counts for most introductions and VC um, reach out as reach outs as well. Um, if you get on a pitch call with me and the first thing you tell me is, oh, I enjoyed that last podcast you did with that Jeff and Gabby guys, those Jeff and Gabby dudes, um, I cannot help but start that off on, on like liking you. So um, that's yeah. definitely, definitely recommended. All right, fantastic. Um, this was great, Jeff, Gabby. Thank you for your insights. Um, you know, if you're building a game, you've heard you've heard Jeff. Um, do your research, and um, from what and I've email heard, Jeff, email Jeff. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Gabby. <laughs> don't email great. me. Don't email me. Find someone to to get an introduction, um, preferably on like a Telegram or something. But uh, that's the that's the best way. Uh, I'm human. I'm human. I can only do so much. And Jeff's a cool guy, so he's a lot of friends, so you have a lot of people that can intro you, so um, you should be good. Um, Self-proclaimed cool. Self-proclaimed. Self right. <laughs> Great. Soon right. TM. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Nico. Jeff, Gabby, thank you so much for being here. This was great. Um, listener, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope you learned a lot. If you're building a game, again, um, keep doing it. We love games, and we want to see as many games in Web3 as possible. Be innovative. Do new shit. Um, the, the Axie tokenomics, maybe try something new and, um, yeah, come talk to us. All right. With that, we are out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Ciao.